You're listening to the Ancestral Elements Podcast. I'm your host, Travis Gray. Join me as we cover topics about nutrition, health, and lifestyle so you can have ancestral health in a modern world. This episode is brought to you by Ancestral Elements Supplements. If you're looking for high-quality whole food supplements, check out AncestralElements.com, navigate to the Supplements tab, and you'll find liver and colostrum, as well as a bear clover tincture that's the only one on the market. I worked with UC Davis to get it lab tested. It's high in quercetin and other phytochemistry that provide antioxidants and anti-inflammatory properties. Sweetened with a hint of maple syrup, lemon peel, and ginger, it's 100% organic and wild-crafted, and all the lab tests are also available upon request. If you're looking to increase your antioxidant activity and fight inflammation, check out the Bear Clover Tincture. Now, here's the episode. Hi, and welcome back to another episode of the Ancestral Elements Podcast. Episode 42, G.I. Joe, The Battle of the Microbiome. This week's going to be a little bit different. I'm going to reference a series of scientific papers that have been recently published surrounding concepts of the microbiome. We're going to get into things like drug interactions, how they shift and sometimes dismantle the microbiome and what food and water does to the microbiome and how it changes it. So we're going to cover kind of a broad range of concepts, but they're all going to be tied into this main concept of the microbiome and how it shifts as we put things in our bodies. So this first article I'm going to reference is from Nature. It was published in January of 2020, and it talks about the complex relationship between drugs and the microbiome. And this is an area that I haven't really covered before on this podcast. I've alluded to it here and there, but I wanted to dive into more info around how different mechanisms and different drugs that we take affect the microbiome. Because everything we're putting onto our body is communicating with the microbiome. It doesn't matter if you're putting it from your mouth, down your esophagus, into the gut, or frankly, if you're injecting it through an IV or intramuscularly, it all ends up communicating with the microbiome on some level. And it turns out that depending on what species are contained in your your individual microbiome, it's going to have a dramatic effect on what prescription and non-prescription drugs are doing. Even over-the-counter drugs, as we'll come to find out, have massive variability once they enter into a biological system on how they operate and what first and secondary metabolites break down and then are utilized in your biological system. And that's why there's such a broad range of side effects and, frankly, a broad range of how well they work in a biological system. Because it's one thing to go from the bench side, where everything is very contained in these neat cell cultures with in vitro studies, but it's another to bring it into a full, complete biological system, and especially one that is already disrupted. So this first drug that's outlined in this paper is statins, or cholesterol-lowering medication, specifically cholesterol that targets your LDL, your low-density lipoproteins. What it found was that in 46% of those treated with the drug, their LDL dropped by 50% or more, but 43% saw less than a 50% decrease, and 11% had no reduction or even increased LDL after taking the drug. So what that says 
is that there's a broad range of what goes on within the microbiome and how it breaks down and utilizes, in this case, chemicals that target LDL cholesterol. In this case, they were looking at bile salts and enzymes that break down bile acids to digest fatty foods, which the liver makes out of cholesterol. So as bile acids are broken down, the organ pulls more, more cholesterol out of the blood to replace them, lowering then the LDL levels in the blood. Depending on the strains of bacteria that are housed in your individual microbiome, you can be more efficient or less efficient at this. And so really it's about understanding the microbiome in your individual interaction with it to optimize this type of interaction. Obviously, antibiotics and dietary changes play a major role in the microbiome, as we've discussed a ton on this podcast already. But then you also have interactions with your organs, too, and how they're functioning. In 2018, researchers screened more than a thousand drugs marketed for various conditions that were on the market against 40 strains of human gut bacteria. They found that nearly a quarter of those drugs had antibiotic properties to them even though they weren't being sold as antibiotics. So what that means it's is a quarter of those drugs were causing bacterial disruption in the gut. Another team in 2019 found that 271 drugs incubated with gut microbes, 176 of them were metabolized to such an extent that the level of the drug dropped by more than 20%. So in other words, its efficacy went down by 20%. So in other words, these bacteria and viruses and protists and fungi species that are housed in your microbiome can incubate these synthetic molecules and house them so that they basically lose their effectiveness or at least are greatly reduced. So everything that you're putting into your body, food, drug, water, whatever it is, it's going to alter the microbiome, and your microbiome is going to have to deal with it. All it is is it's sending information to your microbiome, and it's going to have to process it. Now, that can be a beneficial thing or it can be a negative thing. It depends on the person. It depends on the dose. It depends on what you're putting in your body and how healthy your microbiome is to begin with. The issue with even over-the-counter drugs, something like Tylenol or any type of NSAID, for example, is that... It will disrupt the microbiome if it's taken too much. So stomach ulcers are very, very common with this type of drug. Doctors all know this. It's very well known and discussed. Typically, when people develop stomach ulcers because of Tylenol or aspirin or whatever over-the-counter drug that they've taken too much of chronically, often then they're put on a proton pump inhibitor. These are one of the most widely used drugs in the world. What they do is they basically dilute your stomach acid. And as you know, if you've listened to this podcast before, stomach acid plays a crucial role in pre-digesting and breaking down food so it can be dumped into the small intestine and be utilized. If you don't have enough stomach acid or you have weak stomach acid, then the food isn't going to be absorbed properly by the small intestine and the nutrients won't be extracted and ultimately you'll lead to different nutritional deficiencies and a further disruption in the microbiome because that's the other thing proton pump inhibitors do is they further disrupt your microbiome so in treating a symptom caused by medication 
you're furthering microbial dysbiosis within the gut by then putting somebody on a proton pump inhibitor. And not just inhibiting the microbiome and the amount of species in the microbiome by proton pump inhibitors, you're impeding the digestive process by rendering out stomach acid and diluting it. You literally cannot break down the food properly to get it extracted in the small intestine because that's where the majority of your nutrients from your food get extracted. They get extracted in the small intestine. And when they're too large, you can get gut permeability spots in the intestine where the walls get thin and nutrients can then can leak out, right? And it leads to this whole laundry list of downstream effects that could be stopped if you just took somebody off high doses of, let's say, Tylenol to begin with. Another important thing to know is every study that I'm going to reference and talk about, it's all centered around just bacteria in the microbiota. It's because it's the easiest thing to look at, but you have to remember you have other microorganisms besides bacteria in your microbiota. You have viruses, you have fungi, you have protists, you have archaea. You have four other species roughly in there, sometimes more, than just bacteria. Meaning these complex interactions with bacteria, they're multiplied by every other species in your microbiome. So it's not just the bacteria that can get disrupted. It's everything else. And then all of those species have interplays with one another. And there's crosstalk between all of it. So understanding this complex interaction, it's way more complex than anybody even wants to admit or acknowledge. Because understanding the bacteria is just one tiny piece. It's one-fifth of the total microbiome. It's one out of the five species. Yes, there are more bacteria than any other species. It doesn't mean the other four species of life in your microbiota are any less important. It just means the numbers aren't as high. So in all honesty, we haven't even begun to develop any type of accurate picture for what is actually going on. I have no idea, nor does anybody else, which can sound like a bad thing. But if you take a step back and you look at this through an ancestral and anthropological lens and an evolutionary lens, feeding the total microbiome is something we have done since modern humans have been on this planet for the last 300,000 years. We've been fantastic at this. It's exposing yourself to natural elements. It's exposing yourself to whole foods, many different species, as many as you can fit in per year. It's how the food that you're eating interacts with its environment to change its genetics and hone it. And then you eat all that food. You eat all that diversity. That's what feeds your microbiome. And the other thing that nobody really talks about is water and how it interacts with your microbiome. How water should be the main source of how you're feeding the microbiome. Because a natural water, water that is unprocessed, meaning water that hasn't been touched by industrialization through reverse osmosis or ozone or chemical treatment, whatever the processing is, if you can keep structured water in your body that's been filtered naturally from the earth and picked up minerals and archaea species that's thousands of years old, thousands of years old. There's some water that is sitting down in deep aquifers right now that is 10,000 years old. Spring water is untouched by industrialization. It's never seen chemicals. 
It is the oldest substance that you can put into your body. Putting that into your microbiome, again, it's just information, but it's information that your biology can deal with. It quite literally is ancestral information, which is something that doesn't really get talked about enough. We love finding bones from, you know, 2,000 years ago, you know, 20,000 years ago, whatever it is, right? Like, that's a big find. But yet, there's literally water springing up out of deep aquifers that is thousands of years old that anybody is free to go and drink if they have access to a spring. And you can quite literally build your tissue, build the two-thirds of the substance that make you you out of that water. And the fact that we aren't talking about this or doing this more is worrisome to me. Just from a general health perspective and nutritional perspective, that's the way to build the microbiome. That's the fastest way. Because nobody's going to be allergic to water. Obviously, you want to make sure you're drinking safe water. You don't want to be drinking groundwater. I'm talking true water that has been filtered underneath the bedrock in an aquifer because it takes hundreds of years to cycle down in to the aquifer and then hundreds of years to cycle back up out of the ground. There's plenty of springs that people drink out of worldwide, yet most of us drink reverse osmosis water or worse yet tap water that has pharmaceutical drugs in it, metabolized pharmaceutical drugs that cause further disruption to your microbiome. So these small things, they may seem small, right? The, you know, water is water, H2O, right? On a chemical level, sure. But it, water is not water. Calories is not calories. You see what I mean? There's nuance to this thing. Extreme nuance. And the devil is in the details. There are people right now that have such a disrupted microbiome that they can hardly eat anything. Everything triggers an immune response. Because they have so much disruption and so much gut permeability that the systems have essentially broke down and are no longer functioning as they should be. It makes it really, really hard as a nutritionist solely focused on food to make changes in people's lives like that. The way you make changes in somebody's life that can only eat a handful of things without getting diarrhea or bloating or whatever it may be is water. You do it through water because that will repopulate the gut. And a lot of times it'll be enough to get it back on track to where you can start introducing some foods again into the diet. And the minute that happens, they'll have more energy. And when they have more energy, they can do more. They can work out. They can go outside more, right? And things start to ramp up, okay? It's a balancing act between keeping the right species of microorganisms in the microbiome and keeping them balanced and working together to serve you, to serve your nutritional breakdown. If you have that, then you're not going to have hardly any disruptions. You have way more leeway. Your metabolism functions better. Your nutrient breakdown is better. Everything works better. Neurotransmitter development, much better. It all stems from the microbiome, all of it. This is nutritional genomics in a nutshell. It's the microbiome and how the nutrients derived from the work that's done in the microbiome then toggles on and off your epigenetics and your genes because it's a flexible, dynamic system that's always changing. Every time you eat anything or drink anything or put 
anything into your bloodstream, it changes the microbiome. It changes seasonally. It changes when you get sunlight and vitamin D. It changes when you don't sleep enough, right? Everything you do in your life impacts the microbiome positively or negatively. The awesome thing about all that is you can start to change things if things go off the rails. And you can do it through food, through water, through nutraceuticals, through a vast number of different things. Essential oils, for example, were shown in pigs to have probiotic effects. So they took rosemary and oregano essential oils, rubbed them on the skin. They made their way through the dermal layers, into the capillaries, into the bloodstream, to the intestines, and improved intestinal probiotics. If you approach nutrition from an ancestral place, it takes a lot of the complexity out of it. By engaging with natural elements like the sun and water and the soil and eating foods that are shaped by the sun, the water, and the soil, it brings it all back into perspective and into balance for your biology because that's what it knows how to do. It doesn't know how to deal with the chemical agents and processed foods. We haven't had evolutionary time to deal with any of that yet. Things can always become more complex, especially nowadays with technology. But there are simple solutions to complex answers if you look at things from an evolutionary and ancestral lens. There's researchers now treating celiac disease with hookworm larvae. In other words, they're trying to eliminate celiac disease by implanting parasites inside of people, hoping that they're going to eat up the gluten and gliadin proteins before our bodies can digest them. Can you imagine the downstream effects of this? The downstream effects it's going to have on the microbiome as the worms eat their way through your body? Not smart. They're using this for type 2 diabetes treatments as well. Again, the way you get out of type 2 diabetes is diet exercise in interaction with the elements. You don't do it through parasites. You don't do it through an extreme amount of compounded medication. You don't get healthy that way. And really, there's no way to predict on how your body is going to react to any said medication anyway. There's really no way to know. So what do you do? Just keep increasing the dosage and keep toggling between different medications to try to get a result? Or do you go back to the basics and try to go to the root of the problem to figure out what's actually going on? Personally, I'd rather know what actually is going on than just trying to cover things up and make symptoms go away. Because that's the only thing you're actually doing. So feeding your microbiome and therefore your genetics ultimately is very simple. It's eating foods that are developed from the elements, that are developed from the sun, from the earth from the water, from the air. The same things that develop your genetics. You take those in, your microbiome goes to work on them, extracting nutrients, and it shuttles them to your bloodstream, to your brain, to your joints, to all your organs, and it uses them for energy. Your mitochondria sucks them up, drives homeostatic processes in your body, and things stay stabilized, and they stay in balance, or at least way more than toggling from industrial products like pharmaceuticals or water or food. And you can see that in people. We now know why people are obese. We now know 
why people are prone to certain autoimmune diseases. All you have to do is take a step back and realize these things were not prevalent in humans really until heavily industrialized products hit the market and we use them regularly. These are novel things that are creating novel sickness and disease in our bodies. And that's really the short of it. Our bodies haven't had the time to deal with these things. And I don't think ever will, because these aren't naturally derived products that are easily recognizable by our microbiome and by our genetic, the things that create health in our bodies. And that's not to say that there isn't a place for some of these things in our society, because there absolutely is. There's a place for antibiotics. There's a place for painkillers. These things aren't inherently bad. The reason they can turn so ugly is because we are already in a state of decline when we get on those things. If you are really metabolically healthy, taking some painkillers or taking some antibiotics wouldn't be a huge shock to the system. It could absorb that and deal with it a lot more efficiently. Now, if you have type 2 diabetes or you're obese and you get on those things, that's a very different story that we're talking about. And so that's what I'm talking about here in all of this, right? When I talk about these industrialized products, if you're going to use them and go to them, which let's be honest, at some point in all of our lives, we're probably going to end up there. But the healthier you can be and the more regulated and the more control over the homeostasis that your body has, the better it will respond to those things and the less negative impacts you're going to have as a result of those synthetic agents. Your body's going to be able to rebound way faster. It's not going to respond well when it's already bogged down from an immunological perspective, from a cellular perspective, or from an organ perspective. It's just not going to operate well. And now there's 42% of our country that's obese. That's an issue. It's an issue because of the, the prevalence of these industrialized agents that we use in our population. Because you can't get to health through these types of things. They can be a quick treatment that's short-derived to reset you a little bit if need be. But you're never going to get yourself into health using these things. You're never going to get to microbiome health or intestinal health or genetic health using something like proton pump inhibitors to manage glycemic load or to manage SIBO. It's never going to happen, not in a million years. The way back to your health is by taking a broad look at some ancestral approaches and incorporating them into your modern life way. That's the way back. And if you need some of these things to get you back on track a little bit after you discover how you can use some ancestral approaches, through diet and the elements and building the microbiome, then that's one thing. But battling the microbiome is never going to pay off. Battling bacteria with antibacterials is never going to pay off. And if you talk to anybody who's dealt with chronic issues for decades, they'll tell you they're exhausted. They're exhausted to be battling their depression. They're exhausted to be battling their small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. Because a lot of times you're jockeying so many different medications around and so many different treatments, you don't know even what to do. You know, you go decades and decades into that type of thing and you're kind of at a loss. You don't know really what's worked or if one thing works, it'll stop working. And all of that is because you're battling the microbiome in total and it's causing disruption. 
It's not bringing things into balance. You're spiking one thing up and it's causing a relational crosstalk that it's then spiking something else up and the teeter-totter just keeps going up and down. And you can't get off that merry-go-round very easily that way. It's almost impossible. But what you can do is start exposing yourself to the elements. Start exposing yourself to food that has been grown and exposed to the elements. And you'll start slowly gaining it back. It's not going to be overnight. It's going to be subtle and it's going to take time. But that's the tried and true way. That's the evolutionary way to keep and regulate your health. And not only that, it's the generational way to perpetuate your health through the generations, which really is one of the most important things. Man, don't you want to take ownership of that so you can pass it along, so you can educate? I mean, I certainly do, but I'm a bit of a freak, so (laughs) I don't know what to tell you on that front. But man, in my mind, taking ownership and some responsibility for your own health through these types of practices is the best way to set up the future generations. You can set up your genetics and your epigenetics to pass on better and supportive genetics to your kids, to their kids, and teach them how to do even better than you did. And the moment you break that industrial cycle, things get better. They get a little bit easier and a little bit better. Because really what you're battling when you're over-medicated, when you're overeating omega-6 fatty acids and processed foods, You're battling yourself. You're battling your microbiome. You're battling your genetics. And ultimately, you're going to be hindering your family line. You're going to pass down predispositions that nobody wants to pass down. And you don't have to cut all this stuff out. You don't have to cut out every processed food item there ever is. You don't have to cut out every medication that you're on. All you have to do is start integrating natural elements back into your lifestyle. Get outside. Get full sun exposure. Eat some wild foods. Get species diversity in your diet. Drink natural water. And that will start to rebuild your body. It really is that simple. It is. But it's also pretty damn inconvenient too. I didn't want to go to the spring and fill up 45 gallons of water this week. I was tired. I had a shit week. But you know what? I did it. I sucked it up and I did it. And sometimes that's what you have to do. It's not convenient. The convenient thing is to eat processed food and to take medication to manage your symptoms from eating all the processed food. That's convenient. None of this is convenient, but it is health. It does point you in the direction of health, where those other things do not. And they never have claimed to point you in the direction of health. And they never will because there's no evolutionary landscape or adaptogenic foothold to get you to health using these tools, or at least not solely these tools. Have a foothold in both worlds. You've got to know when to go to an ancestral approach versus a modern approach and toggle back and forth. And it's going to be different for each individual person. No one can give you that answer with 100% certainty. They can absolutely point you in the right direction. And there can be complementary therapies, certainly. But if you start from a place of health, then your body is going to become way, way more flexible and way more resilient when it comes, and if it comes, to needing industrialized therapeutic agents. That's the difference. You build resilience in this life way. Resilience for yourself, resilience for future generations down the line. And if there was ever a time that we need resilience, it's 
right now. It's this landscape. Because what we're going to have to navigate in the future months and years is going to be daunting. You're going to need resilience. You're going to need adequate nutritional resilience. So start feeding the microbiome now. Get it set up. Get it prepared. And stop fighting yourself. Stop fighting your biology. Start working with it. Learn how to utilize it. Learn how to leverage it. Learn how to leverage your health for longevity. Because disrupting the microbiome is only going to lead to further downstream negative consequences. It's going to put a burden on the immune system. It's going to put a burden on the organs. It's going to put a burden on the cells and the mitochondria that supply energy to your cells and to cellular detox and turnover. Unburden yourself, but do it with nutrition that feeds the microbiome and do it with the elements that are outside your door. Start with the easiest stuff first. Can you go get spring water or can you have it delivered? Can you go pick some wild fruit or go to an organic you pick farm? Can you go out and get full sun exposure without sunscreen on so you can actually absorb vitamin D? Can you do those things? Chances are if you're listening to this and you've made it this far into the podcast, you're probably doing those things already. But if you're not, now's the time to start. Get your hands into the soil. Get yourself into natural bodies of water. It'll feed the skin and the microbiome on the skin, and it'll get down into your intestinal microbiome. These are simple strategies and solutions for complex issues. We don't need complex solutions. We have simple ones that are already laid out in front of us. All we have to do is to learn how to tap back into them. I think a lot of the time people think that if they were so good, why aren't they still being used? But the fact is, our life got too busy. It got taken over by industry. And we don't usually have the time to go out and get an hour and a half of sunlight and move our bodies and gather spring water. That's not what we do anymore. Because we have complex systems sitting right there for us to use. Bottled water, that's a very complex system. It involves pumps and trucks and sterilization and plastic bottles and crude oil, right? Very complex. Whereas the solution to that is very simple. You go and get spring water on your own. It's kind of like the idea of a gym, right? What do we do? We get in our cars, we drive to a gym, so we can go walk on a treadmill for 20 minutes and go on an elliptical and maybe do some squats with some weight. Whereas if you just walked down the street and picked up a heavy rock and squatted a few times, you would get actually more benefit because you'd be out in the fresh air, getting fresh oxygen, getting sunlight, dealing with the elements, right? Simple solutions, but yet the complexities just keep growing and growing. I mean, treadmills have to be one of the silliest things really ever invented. Not to mention they cause a lot of injuries and a lot of unnecessary injuries, which we don't need to get into in this podcast. But it's things like that that are ultimately very unnecessary. And there's unforeseen damages and downstream effects of those types of technology. You don't need to overcomplicate just to overcomplicate. Use the simple stuff first is really what I'm getting at. And you're going to be far better off. You're going to be far better off nutritionally, functionally, and epigenetically. So you can pass that on. You're not going to create very robust epigenetics running on a treadmill. Just not going to happen. Better than not doing that. 
but not as good as interacting within an actual environment and a natural environment at that. But again, these complex systems are kind of baked into our lives, right? We don't think about the nuances of running on a treadmill versus running outside. We don't think about the nuances of ankle articulation and the way that our ankle strikes in different ways and different angles affecting our knee and hip and low back alignment, right? And that when we run on a treadmill, we don't get any of that articulation and it causes us to overload a particular set of joints and movement patterns that cause undue stress on the rest of the systems of the body that eventually down the line will lead to chronic injury, you know? So it's these types of things, right, where it seems good. It seems like a great idea to run on a treadmill. But in actuality, in real life, in the real world, it's actually not that good. It can be great for short term or great for rehabbing something, right? There are reasons to have treadmills. But for overall longevity and health, terrible idea. And you can see this across the fitness world. You can see this certainly across the nutrition world. But it's time to systematically start questioning these things that are in place. Because if you don't, then you're never going to see the potential harmful downstream effects of engaging in that type of activity. And really, it just sets you up for another battle. The only way to uncomplicate your life is to use simple solutions, period. More complexity means more hidden complexity, especially when it comes to a biological system. So stop battling. Stop battling yourself. And ultimately, stop battling the microbiome. Learn to work with it. Learn to work with the elements that are inherent to your biology, and things will be a lot better. All right, that's going to do it for this week. Thank you so much for listening. Get outside eat a varied species diet, and I'll talk to you guys next week. Thank you for listening to the Ancestral Elements Podcast. If you like what you're hearing, leave me a rating and review. This will ensure that people can find the podcast so that we can grow the audience, and it will help me secure guests for future episodes. If you have suggestions on what you want to hear on upcoming episodes, go to AncestralElements.com and leave me a comment. I would love to hear your guys' thoughts and inputs and answer any questions that you may have.